when Sonny was uh, six years, sixth grade, he was in sixth grade, he was already a semi-pro baseball player. He was going to go into the major leagues. Everybody knew it. He was a shortstop with incredible range, just a rocket of an arm. And uh, in seventh grade, he developed a good bat. So he was actually had, had all the tools, and he was looking forward to his future, probably playing with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He uh, was offered several different scholarships to play baseball. Uh, but he wanted to go to Westminster College. The scholarship they were offering was full, and he wouldn't have to pay for food or a place to stay, and, and that was very rare in those days. It would be best for his family, especially for his mom. And so, uh, so he went there. And during the fall semester, his first semester there, he was eating at the, uh, in the, the athlete's cafeteria, you know, the special cafeteria with the good food. And he was going through the salad bar, and a tomato rolled off the salad bar. And he reached for it, trying to catch it like a shortstop would. And his foot slid, and his back uh, knee twisted in a way that it's not supposed to twist. And in a way that they could not fix in the 1940s, his knee was gone forever. Everything was changed school was uh, honored their scholarships and so he stayed in school but everything that he had lived his life to be was gone and he was walking through uh, the lobby of the athlete's dorm one night to grab a pack of cigarettes before going out on the town he was a chain smoker forever by the way Uh, as he was grabbing the cigarettes a football player who was studying the bible looked up at him and said what happened to you he said i I blew out my knee, uh, reaching for a tomato. And the uh, football player said, man, I'm sorry. It's just like the preacher says, huh? When a tree falls in the woods, whether to the north or to the south, there it lays. For whatever reason, that Bible verse got into his heart. And he says he, he decided not to go out on the town that night. And he went up into his room and he started studying the Bible and praying. He said, I felt like a tree rotting on the ground. My life was ended. I had nothing to look forward to. And I started calling out on the Lord to save me. And that child grew up to be Winston Churchill. Just kidding. That's a Paul Harvey joke for those of you. It was R.C. Sproul, of course, who went on to become a doctorate in theology and preach the gospel to tens of thousands of people throughout the world and write books uh, explaining theology to the, to the layman and had a tremendous ministry who passed away just a few years ago. And his life all changed because he blew out his knee at a salad bar. And none of those books would have get, gotten written if he had not reached for that tomato. God interrupts. When God steps in and disrupts your life, how do you respond? Because he does. He often does. He oftentimes will take away the dream that we've been living for so that he could give us a better dream. When it feels like some kind of interruption or even... even on a personal scale, a disaster has come... Could that be an invitation? Could it be that God is inviting you to do something that you never dreamed? 
this text this morning is about the great interruption. Uh, interruption in a little girl's life, 15-year-old. An interruption in world history. And it not only teaches us something about how God has miraculously and wonderfully interrupted the world history and interrupted uh, the hope of humankind, but it also gives us an example for how we should view and embrace the smaller interruptions in our own lives. Please stand as we read from Luke chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. God's favorites often get disrupted. God's favorites often get disrupted. What do I mean? I mean, God oftentimes comes into our lives and he takes away the dreams that we had to give us himself. Uh, If we focus too narrowly on the dreams that we thought we had, the dreams that we, the place that we thought we were going, oftentimes those dreams become our saviors. And God loves us too much to let us do that. Oftentimes, he does not give us the things that we want. He almost never gives us an explanation, but he does give us himself. Mary, 15-year-old girl, planning to get married. She knows how life works. Her dream is to be married and to have children and uh, to be Joseph's wife. And an angel appears and says, it's not going to be what you think. He loved her too much to let her simply have that dream. He wanted to give her much, much more. Much, much more. 
and, and, and Mary receives it, right? God loves us too much to let history go on. He loves us too much to let things just happen, to let nature take its course. And, and this is the great disruption, right? It is. You see, we all love normalcy. Well, some of you do. And uh, we want life to go on, and we want our simple dreams, and we want our easy life. But I want you to take a step back from that and ask yourself, is that really what you want? What if nature just takes its course? We live, we die, we're forgotten, nature moves on. And God loved us too much for that. And so he interrupts history. And he's been doing that for a long time. He loved Abraham too much. And he, call, he comes to Abraham. Abraham's just hanging out in Ur of the Chaldees with his family, doing his ranching thing, and all of a sudden God appears. I want you to leave. I want you to go. I want you to go to this land that I'll, I'll show you eventually. Don't you worry. And I'm going to give it all to you and your descendants. What would you have said if you were there? Don't do it. Don't do it, Abraham. You're going to put your beloved son on an altar one day. It's going to be hard. You're never going to have a home. You're going to be a nomad living in tents. Don't do it. And he went. He embraced the interruption. He comes to, to Mary, and, and he says, I'm gonna, you're going to be with child, and, and this child's going to be the... the the promised son of David who will reign forever and ever. What would you have said? Don't do it. Don't do it, Mary. It's going to be terrible. You are going to stand in front of a wooden cross and see your beloved son stretched out and murdered. You don't want that. Don't do it. She embraces the interruption and she follows him. And, and he keeps doing these kinds of things to our lives. He comes to, to, to Peter when Jesus is on the earth and he says, Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And what would you have said if you were there? Don't do it. Just live with your wife. Just catch fish. That sounds like a great job. You don't want to follow this guy. You don't want to be hounded down for the rest of your life you don't want to be hunted and eventually crucified don't do that and on and on it goes the apostle paul and and john and and all of his disciples and and it comes down to us it comes to us and he disrupts us he disrupts rc sprawl by having him reach for a tomato how does he disrupt you when does he he interrupt your life and offer you himself and there's two questions that this first kind of point brings out and the first question is do you believe that God has interrupted history and you're going to I'm going to make this point several times over the next few weeks um, for because it's, it's, this is a time when unbelievers tend to uh, come into church, and if you're here, I'm really glad. I'm really glad. And it's a time of year when uh, somehow, some way, Jesus kind of gets his name on the newspaper a little bit more than usual. 
And it's important for me to ask, do you believe that this son who was born was the son of a virgin? And I know the tendency is to think, well, back then they didn't know how babies were made. But we know better now. Buddy, they've always known how babies were made. You're not, don't be that arrogant. Even Mary says, I don't think this is supposed to happen this way. And it's hard. It's hard to believe. It's actually part of our uh, denomination's history. There was a time in the 60s and early 70s when you, and, and still today in certain denominations, where you didn't have to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That wasn't necessary, as long as you were going to preach new life and kind of, you know, self-reformation and and uh, there was a young man being ordained in Macon, Georgia, and he was hemming and hawing about the, the virgin birth and trying to explain to these older men who didn't understand such sophisticated things that, that God could make anyone a virgin. And that's really what this means, that the Holy Spirit can make anyone clean. And a farmer, according to the legend, still in his overalls, I don't know, but he was a ruling elder, stood up in presbytery and he said, Young man, Every man in this room knows what a virgin is. When Jesus was born, was Mary a virgin or not? And he refused to answer the question. And a pastor named Jim Baird stood up and said, this is no longer the church of my father's. And he walked out and and started laying the groundwork for the PCA. But the question today is for you. Is Christianity a really neat tradition for you? Is it your club you know, like your favorite football team, you were kind of born into it? Or did God disrupt history? And, and be honest with yourself. If you don't believe that, that's okay. But be honest with yourself enough to admit that and begin to ask yourself the questions. Now, for the rest of us, let me ask you this. When God disrupts your life, when he disrupted your life in 2020, Did you see that as an opportunity? Did you embrace that with with curiosity? What's God calling me to do now? Do you still believe he's that good? Do you trust his intentions? Are you able to receive that as an invitation from the Lord who loves you? If he offers you life, are your hands still grasping on to death when... um, Every, every Halloween, Bianca and I throw a little party in the yard. And people in the neighborhood know about it, but people who come... Th- we have a great neighborhood to trick-or-treat in. So the kids, you know, parents bring their kids in from everywhere. And uh, so our house is different. We've got the normal candy. We've also got cookies and brownies and hot dogs and, uh, and punch. And, and so it's funny because the kids come up to the table and they want everything. <laughs> and so... You know, first they get the candy, and then they get a cookie, and then they're looking at all the other stuff they want. But they can't have any of that stuff because their hands are full, and they're not putting that down. And, and the Lord oftentimes asks us to put down our life and embrace what he's offering. Are you willing to do that? How do you do that? How, does, how do we respond to that? Let's, let's continue on with the story. What does Mary do? 
first, she ponders this greeting, which makes sense. I mean, this, this text is just filled with glorious understatement, isn't it? She wondered what kind of greeting this was. Yeah, an angel just appeared. Gabriel himself, terrifying, saying, don't, it's okay, everything's cool. I imagine she was doing some pondering. And then she asked questions, how can this be? How, what, what? Now, if you're paying attention, if you were paying attention last week, Zechariah was visited and he was disrupted. And what happened? He asked questions and the angel that he visited with got, uh, struck him mute. You know, hey, don't doubt me. Bam, you're quiet. Mary gets, has questions, and her angel is like, oh, don't, let me explain. It's okay. And I think the obvious takeaway is that some angels are grumpy and some aren't. No, I think, I think there is an important takeaway. I think uh, there's a few things to learn. One, I, I do think Zachariah was held to a different standard. He was an old man who had been studying the Word of God all of his life, and the angel... I think basically was saying, come on, man, you know by now. You studied the stories of Sarah and Abraham and of Hannah and Samuel, and and you know what God can do, and you know that the the womb is in his hands to open it as he will. So don't don't give me those kind of questions. But I do also think that there's a, a difference in the way we ponder, in the way we doubt in the way we, we ask questions, and, and you know that. And sometimes we ask questions as a way into the truth. What's God going to do here? What, how, how am I going to get pregnant? And sometimes we ask questions as a way out. Oh, how could that have happened? I, uh, I play around on Twitter about once a month. And, uh, you know, a few, a few months ago, somebody was writing a question. It was a very, actually, very thoughtful question about how uh, demons kind of work in the Bible and, and God's relationship with them. And I thought she was asking a serious question. And so I threw out a couple of answers. And then she wrote back, oh, that's cool. Now, you're not trying to convert me, are you? Because I don't believe this stuff anymore. That was, she wasn't asking questions. She was just mocking. You've got to be able to acknowledge people like that. You have to be able to pick up on that. You don't want to the book of Proverbs says, don't, an- don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. But there's a very legitimate way to question, too. You know, our former church administrator, Jason Averill, was sitting in prison one day. And, and he got a hold of C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, and he, and he began to read it. And he started reading it because he wanted to mock C.S. Lewis and Christian apologetics but as he read it he became more and more convinced of his own ignorance and his questions became honest how can this be how can this be it's pondering the truth of the gospel pondering the truth of what god is calling us to do we have to we have to ask serious questions because some of you have an overacted conscience and you think god's always turning you around right if there's a traffic jam it means you need to change careers you know, it was hard to get to work today. I guess God's calling me to quit and find another job. No, probably not. There's probably some road construction up there that you'll eventually be thankful for if you live to see it completed. And others of you are so obsessed with, with, with where you're going that nothing, God can't possibly tell you, 
you need to let go of that dream. And, and you know, when are we being tenacious and, and long-suffering and, and showing endurance? And when are we being foolish? We have to walk in between those two things, right? And, and use wisdom. We have to ponder. We have to learn to ask Lord questions. And, and, and like I said, I think just being curious. Is God showing me something here? Is this time for me to, to, to make a turn, to do something different? Or is this just a roadblock? And how are we going to receive it? Is God telling me that I need a better dream? Sometimes God is like Simon Cowell. You know, the guy who invented American Idol and all the other silly shows who's made a living off being mean and rude. But in the midst of that meanness and rudeness, he speaks truth. I mean, he really does. He's an expert on what, you know, who's going to make it as a singer and who's not. I, I've watched all of one episode of American Idol, so... But on that episode was this sweet kid who just sang his heart out. And the first judge went, you know, you, you really tried hard and maybe you should come back next year. And the second judge said, you know, I think you could have a career on a cruise ship or maybe an amusement park. And Simon Cowell said, you need to quit singing. And the kid's heart was broken. He says, but I practice eight hours a day. And Simon said, you're wasting that eight hours. You could do something else. And he said, but this is my dream. And I'll never forget, he said, you need a better dream. God might be coming to you and saying, you need a better dream. Maybe. Maybe he's saying, listen to me. Let me show you. So Mary ponders and she asks honest questions to find the truth. And then she believes and she submits. She says these wonderful words, may it be to me as you have said. She completely submits, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She she places herself under him. Notice there's no bargaining here. There's no, okay, I'll do this for you, but I need some guarantees. I mean, she's about to bear the divine child if anybody ever had the room to say okay what am I getting in return it would have been her but that's the point nobody ever has the right to say what am I getting in return she's getting Jesus she gets Jesus she's not the giver she's the receiver and if you really understand that, if you understand who God is, then you understand that he's never asking too much of us. He's already given us himself. I mean, you can do all the philosophical gyrations and gymnastics you want to do, but there is nothing that God could ever give you that would require a sacrifice on his part unless he gave you himself. Unless he gave you his son and when he gives you that he's given you everything and so there's nothing that he can't ask and respond becoming a Christian is not like becoming an adult it's not like enlisting in the army because you get your college paid for it's it's about seeing a need inside of you it's about feeling like a rotting tree with no hope 
of healing yourself, no hope of picking yourself back up. It's recognizing that, that in Christ is your only source of life. In that experience, when you have that experience, submission defines how we respond. Because it's your only source of life. You have no choice but submit. No hope but submit. And again, I ask you, have you done that? Have you submitted to God's offer of life? And if so, let me ask you again, is that your pattern for life? Is your pattern for life bargaining? Is your pattern for life, God, I go to church every Sunday. What are you going to do for me in response? Is your pattern for life, Lord, I've, I've read my children, the children's storybook Bible, the Jesus storybook Bible, ten times. Now guarantee me they're going to be Christians and not make any bad mistakes. Promise me that. We all do that. But the least you can do is admit that it's stupid, right? You don't get to bargain with him. He's the giver. We receive his grace like the ground receives rain. We don't do anything to earn it. But he's good. We can trust him. And then there's this final promise, and um, he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Now, I ask you, is that a promise for all of us? Well, no, we're not all going to be made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That was a one-time act. But the promise of the Holy Spirit is for us all. Okay, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, Presbyterians. Buckle your seatbelts. It's okay. It's in the Bible. Right? Jesus promises us, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And John says he said that concerning the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given. And so I want to ask us all, this time of year is a good time to ask it. Every day is a good time of year. Are, are you living your life as a recipient and as a fountain of the Holy Spirit? Do you live your life recognizing that this Spirit is inside of you with the intention, God gave you the Spirit with the intention of you getting other people wet, getting them immersed? Are you, is He present and active in you? And, and if not, then we have to ask ourselves a question, are we, are we believing? I, I love that, that benediction in, in Romans. I would say it more often, but I often get it wrong, and I hate getting things wrong. And so I always chicken out right at the last second and go back to Zechariah 3, because I know that one. But the one in, Ro, in Romans is what? May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and all peace as what? As you go on believing. As you go on believing. Present active. Not past tense. Not since you believed 27 years ago in your dorm room. But as you go on believing. That by the power of His Spirit, you may overflow with hope. And and if we're living a life and we feel like we're devoid of that Spirit, if we honestly know without any doubt we are void of the Spirit, then we need to ask ourselves the question, are you believing? 
if you let belief present active belief be supplanted by habit and ritual and presumption it's okay to admit that let's make this Christmas a time when we go on believing when we come to Jesus we're gonna, I'm going to do a huge altar call in a minute and every one of you are invited to respond and come to the Lord's table that's our altar call, it's a Presbyterian altar call we invite you to come and go on believing. Go on believing. And just ask yourself, I, I encourage you, I, I ask yourself, what could the Holy Spirit do with me today? It's usually not enormous deals, but it could be life-changing deals. It could be that you quote some odd verse from Ecclesiastes 3.11 and tell a college student that he's like a tree falling in the woods. What in the world? You know, my mom, I asked her, well, we, we talked a lot uh, as we were getting ready for her to go meet Jesus. And, and uh, she told me a story about how the man uh, across the way, Lloyd Upchurch, Lloyd Upchurch noticed that her and her sisters weren't going to Sunday school. Just drove by the house, saw him. There was a, she lived on this side of the highway. There was a convenience store in the middle K&S Grocery, and he lived on the other side, and they saw each other at the store, and he asked her, where do you go to Sunday school? And she said, I don't go to Sunday school. And he said, well, do you want to go Sunday? Sure. She was like eight. Picked her up and took her to Sunday school. Took her and her sister Janice. <laughs> My mother died in that church 72 years later. She never stopped going. And there's no way I would be here if Lloyd Upchurch hadn't taken her to Sunday school. Little things. Just little things. I'm not asking you to become a pastor. Heavens, don't do that. Then I wouldn't have a job. But just ask yourself, Lord, what, what's, the, what's the interruption? What's the opportunity today? What does it mean for you to live as directed by the Spirit? Be willing to ask the question. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. It's going to be okay. You're a 15-year-old and terrified, but you're pretty much the only woman in world history that every human is going to know your name. You can trust me. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that we are often afraid. We are too addicted to normal. Uh, to even ask, what are you doing? What, are, what is the invitation? And I pray that this Christmas we would begin to ask the question, do I really believe this? Is the Spirit alive in me? Is the Spirit directing me? Am I believing today? Could you use me today? Father, we pray that you would teach us to ask the questions the way that Mary did, to open the door, that you could do your will through us. May it be to us, as you have said, for we are your servants. In Jesus' name.